0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Health & Living with me, T. Ik. Today we're discussing lung cancer. Now, that is a disease that has a long and difficult history in our society. It bears the stigma of being associated primarily with men who smoke and is still thought to be the deadliest of all cancers. And the latter is true when lung cancer is diagnosed at late stages – which is unfortunately the case for 90% of patients with lung cancer in Malaysia. However, it is time to stop thinking of lung cancer as a self-inflicted disease of smokers and recognise that it is increasing among non-smokers as well, including among younger adult women. So, of course, this will raise the question of whether lung cancer can be detected early and treated early, even among non-smokers. And this is a question I want to ask my guests today, Dr. Anand Sachitanandan, consultant, cardiothoracic surgeon and co-founder of the Lung Cancer Network Malaysia and Vinod Narayanan, country president of AstraZeneca Malaysia and I'll be getting them to share updates on lung cancer screening in Malaysia and why people shouldn't be afraid of coming forward to get checked. This show is brought to you by AstraZeneca Malaysia. Dr. Anand and Vinod, thank you so much for joining me in the studio today. How are the both of you?
1: Great, Uh, thanks for having us on this program. It's great to be on the program with Dr. Anand.
2: Likewise. Thank you, Sharik, for the kind of invitation and nice to be here with uh, Vinod.
0: Yes, and November is the time we do want to um, sort of uh, heighten conversations about lung cancer, although, of course, that is important um, regardless of when we're having this discussion. And as I mentioned, Dr. Anand, the stereotype of lung cancer tends to be that of middle-aged men who are or were smokers. But how is that, uh, that stereotype changing today?
2: Yeah, Shaweek, you're absolutely right. I mean, historically and even now, it is still uh, predominantly uh, a smoker's disease in that the majority of cases of lung cancer globally, including here in (coughs) Malaysia, uh, tends to uh, involve people who have a tobacco smoking history, either current or former smokers. Having said that, in recent years, we have observed this phenomenon of a rise in the incidence of lung cancer in the non-smoker or never-smoker. Of which uh, women are overrepresented. So I think it's important that as a society, as a medical profession, we recognize this, what I term as a changing face of lung cancer, that it really is no longer exclusively a disease of male smokers. And we need to be cognizant of that when we uh, screen for the disease or in thinking about lung cancer as a possible diagnosis when we meet patients who may be outside that conventional sort of clinical risk profile.
0: Mm -hmm. Do we know why we're seeing more of the disease among non and never smokers? And in fact, um, what is increasing the risk among these uh, groups today?
2: So that's a great question. The short answer is we don't. What we have observed is a gradual increase in the proportion of uh, non-smokers or never-smokers who are being diagnosed with lung cancer. And as I mentioned previously, uh, unfortunately, women are overrepresented in this cohort. Um, I think it's a recognition of a number of other risk factors beyond tobacco smoking. So the WHO, for example, recognises air pollution as a major risk factor And um, when we talk about air pollution, you know, I would add to that secondhand smoke, passive smoking as well. There are various theories about this, but in (coughs) essence, it's thought that, uh, you know, uh, pollution can trigger an inflammatory response that may activate pre-existing dormant cancer-causing genes in susceptible individuals that can trigger a cancerous process. And, of course, uh, other well-established risk factors for lung cancer in the non-smoker and never-smoker, besides air pollution and secondhand smoke, include a family history. So that's a very significant uh, point that we need to be aware of. Chronic lung diseases like tuberculosis, COPD, potentially even COVID. We don't know the long-term implications of COVID. Uh, anything that creates an inflammatory response within the lung uh, could potentially exacerbate or increase the risk of a future lung cancer.
0: So, what does that tell us about, you know, how people can look at themselves and think, might I be at risk, and what should I do?
2: Absolutely. So, I think unfortunately, none of us can afford to be complacent. Uh, you know, anyone is at risk of lung cancer if you have lungs, which we all do. Uh, obviously, when we talk about screening and detecting the disease early, you know, we need to target high risk populations. So, it's not feasible to screen everyone at large. Still, it is very much those with a smoking history. But I would add to that people who have a family history of lung cancer should give careful consideration to uh, consult their doctor and perhaps even to be screened for the disease. It is very difficult for any of us to mitigate the risks of air pollution or secondhand smoke or passive smoking and other risk factors. Um, So really, I think the single best thing one can do is obviously don't smoke, don't vape. If you are in that high-risk category... Then give uh, thoughtful consideration to to be screened.
0: Mm. Screening, what I understand is that the low dose CT scan is, is is sort of the gold standard as a screening tool. Um, and uh, in in our discussion today, we'll be actually going a little bit beyond that to to talk about how we're going to get people even before they go for this. CT scan, but perhaps, Doctor, and you can just explain what this low-dose CT scan looks for, and how does it work as a screening tool?
2: So, yeah, uh, a low-dose CT scan, it does what it says on the tin. It is low radiation dose. The radiation dose is around 1.5 to 3 millisieverts, so it's fairly low dose, and um, it is is the gold standard for investigating uh, or screening uh, for lung cancer across the globe. It's a scan that uh, provides high resolution images. Uh, one does not need to fast to go for this scan. Uh, there is no injection of any contrast, so we call this a non-contrasted CT scan. It's a rapid acquisition scan done with a single breath. It takes a matter of seconds to be done. It's widely available in private and government hospitals throughout the country. And it provides very detailed anatomical resolution and imaging that allows us to look for uh, basically an early lung cancer, which may be a little nodule within the lung tissue. Mm. And the low-dose CT scan is well-validated, shall in terms of the uh, three or four major trials that have demonstrated quite clearly that it can save lives. If we target high-risk populations, it's been shown to reduce what we term as lung cancer-specific mortality, reduction in deaths from lung cancer by picking up the disease early. In other words, the the concept is to effect stage shift, to pick up more cases of lung cancer at an earlier stage when it's more amenable to treatments with uh, what we refer to as a curative intent.
0: Yeah, Mm. But nonetheless, um, we can't expect all clinics at the primary care level to be able to do a low-dose CT scan, right?
2: That's right. So I think the limitation is, one, there is obviously a financial cost with regards to a CT scan or low-dose CT. And secondly is the uh, availability or accessibility. So these uh, scanners tend to be located in tertiary institutions, hospitals, private or government hospitals. And uh, that is the Achilles heel in terms of the access and the affordability, which is why I think uh, we are trying to explore whether there are other imaging tools that can be utilised, you know, as a triage to try and identify and funnel the high-risk population that could then go on to be investigated with a definitive low-dose CT scan.
0: Mm, And I think, Vinod, um, this is where I'd like to bring you in. Can you share more about the Cure.ai initiative and how that is sort of like, you know, capturing more of the population first? Yeah, Uh,
1: thank you. Thank you, Sherry. So Cure.ai is uh, an uh, AI-powered solution uh, that scans X-rays for uh, incidental pulmonary nodules. Uh, so dr anand has given you a sense of uh, how the the patient journey goes about right so uh, so cure ai helps to uh, analyze x rays and uh, spot these uh, abnormal uh, you know pulmonary nodules and helps to do it at scale and at a, at, a, at a pace where you can scan hundreds and thousands of x rays uh, in a day uh, helps you to get to that uh, scale in terms of being able to uh, to process and identify um, you know, um, uh, pulmonary nodules that may prove to be uh, of high risk mm. that may end up being a, a cancer that needs to be addressed with more clinical care. Mm. So that's exactly what we are trying to do here. You know, as you, uh, uh, as you rightly pointed, L- uh, low dose CT scans are the gold standard, but it's not for everybody. So how do you, in, you know, um, introduce a, a non-invasive method where there are X rays available? You run the AI solution along with the X-rays to identify these nodules and identify those with, uh, which, which seem to be high risk, and then you uh, target them to to go on for confirmatory testing. So that's the workflow that we are talking about.
0: Mm. Um, so that's how the technology works, but how is it available here in Malaysia?
1: Yeah, so the uh, the origin of uh, you know this this work uh, goes back a couple of years already and it's part of uh, our uh, global effort uh, under a program called Lung Ambition Alliance. So AstraZeneca, along with uh, a few other partners, are working to really look at lung cancer and how can we make a difference to lung cancer. And potentially, the uh, the ambition of this program is to see if we can double survival in lung cancer over the next five years and eliminate lung cancer as a leading cause of death. Uh, so that's the overall uh, approach behind this program. Um, we... Um, assigned a partnership with uh, LCNM uh, under the leadership of Dr Anand um, you know back in 2021 That's to right. initiate this program where we've implemented the AI solution in a series of uh, primary care clinics under the Qualitas group so we've done this we've screened thousands of patients and as doc- Dr Anand rightly pointed out we we learned a few lessons from that i think it's not uh, enough if you just do that initial screening within the primary care channel you've got to make sure that the uh, the high risk uh, Uh, you know, uh, cases are referred to the tertiary centers. And since then, we've expanded this program to bring on a couple of tertiary hospitals into this workflow as well. So the last couple of years, we've screened about 20,000, you know, scans uh, as part of this work. Um, So the numbers, you know, 20,000 may seem like a big number, but we can do a lot more, because we need to screen more to identify a lot more patients that are at high risk, who then end up getting uh, the appropriate care. Dr.
0: Anand, if we already had challenges getting high-risk people to go for low-dose CT scans. How are we getting them to go to the clinics, uh, for instance, under the Qualitas program? How are we getting them to do the x-rays as well?
2: So that's a great question. I think a chest x-ray or chest radiography is a very well-established investigation. You know, it's something that is uh, well accepted by most people across, you know, everywhere. It's pretty affordable. Very palatable, less frightening, and less costly than the thought of having a CT scan. And uh, their scalability, as we don't mentioned, in that we can, you know, c- cast the net wide. Um, you know, a lot of the evidence for screening for lung cancer with low dose CT up until now focuses on people who have a smoking history, current to former smokers. And I feel, that I feel there's a large unmet need if we continue to go on that path. We will, you know, we will, that precludes a large group of people, the non-smokers, the high-risk non-smokers and never-smokers, who will not be captured by that kind of screening criteria. And that includes a lot of women as well. So uh, there is data from Taiwan, the Talent Study, which demonstrated that family history is a significant risk factor for developing lung cancer in non-smokers and never smokers. And our interest in this collaboration that LCNM has had, we're very privileged to have kind support from Astrazeneca in this, has been to use a uh, basically a less invasive uh, and more affordable, you know, triage screening test, the chest X-ray. Uh, which is obviously enhanced with AI, artificial intelligence technology, to try and cast the net wide and increase the um, screening uptake. And as you mentioned, I think, you know, the thought of just going to your local general practitioner, or your community doctor, and getting an x-ray done, if you meet certain criteria, I think it's more achievable. Um, if I can just add briefly the... You know, screening for lung cancer with chest x-rays is not new. The Japanese did this in the 1970s and early 1980s. But unfortunately, it was quickly demonstrated that it was not sensitive enough. It wasn't good enough as a screening tool. But with the advent of AI technology, there are a number of studies out there now that have demonstrated quite clearly that it enhances the sensitivity and the diagnostic accuracy over uh, human radiologists i always look at this as something that will complement rather than compete with the radiologists i think vinod alluded to this earlier with a large volume of scans and images to be looked at this can increase their workload tremendously but utilizing adopting ai uh, will allow them you know to focus on those x rays that have been flagged up as being abnormal or having an equivocal finding mm. so they can spend more time and attention looking at that so as a triage tool mm-hmm. But the challenge we have is getting people, as you said, that I think that's the origin of your question, to get people to come forth for screening. Yeah, And just to add on to what Dr. An- Anand has said, um, you know, the, the tools
1: are getting better as well. So even though in, today we are talking in the context of lung cancer, you know, an X-ray could have been taken for, you know, identifying other illnesses. Right. So, uh, so the tools today are not just focused on one thing. I think the cure AI solution that we are talking about can um, detect up to 30 different types of health conditions. Right? it could be a covid-19 it could be tuberculosis it could be fibrosis and, and a series of other conditions so uh, it's um, so the, the need for an x-ray is not just in the context of uh, you know uh, lung cancer it could have been something that was taken for other purposes but you have the solution now to uh, to run the ai solution on the x-ray to find these incidental nodules so it's it's more about minimizing the risk and being able to act on it early and that's what we are trying to do with this program
0: All right, we'll go for a quick break and come back to continue the discussion about lung cancer detection. In the studio with me, Dr. Anand Sachitanandan, consultant, cardiothoracic surgeon and co-founder of the Lung Cancer Network Malaysia and Vinod Narayanan, country president of AstraZeneca Malaysia. We will come back to look at um, how we're going to get over that mental barrier of going for cancer screening regardless of how advanced the technology may be. Um, it's about um, getting behavioral change. I think that may be the most difficult thing to do. Stay tuned for that discussion on Health and Living, BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Ik. Joining me in the studio today, Dr. Anand Sachitanandan, consultant, cardiothoracic surgeon and co-founder of the Lung Cancer Network Malaysia and Vinod Narayanan, country president of AstraZeneca Malaysia. We're discussing lung cancer, who is increasingly at risk today, how we can um, identify lung cancer early, and uh, we haven't even begun to talk about um, advancements in treatments of lung cancer, but there are, and uh, what we want to do is encourage people to get the disease picked up early so that early intervention Can be implemented, and we've been talking about very exciting and interesting developments using artificial intelligence to be able to turn the humble X-ray, the humble chest X-ray, into um, something so sensitive that it could pick up um, abnormalities in the lungs uh, that would then, you know, prompt um, other kinds of diagnostic tests um, that can then diagnose lung cancer early, and um, we've been talking about Cure AI, which is now available in quite a number of um, GP clinics, uh, especially the Qualitas group of clinics in Malaysia, as well as several um, tertiary hospitals is part, uh, are coming in under the initiative as well. Um, Vinod, how will this screening program be sustained and even expanded beyond uh, what we're seeing today?
1: Yeah so uh, we've uh, we've had about 20,000 scams to date but uh, clearly our ambition is to do more uh, globally um, you know this is a program that's been running for a few years uh, so this is not uh, a flavor of the month type of initiative uh, to make a, a, a dent towards what we are trying to achieve uh, requires multiple uh, stakeholders to come in at the right time policy changes the right clinical interventions behavior changes that you talked about from from the patients so all of this needs to be orchestrated in a in a, in a nice manner um, We've uh, committed to delivering 5 million scans uh, as a company uh, across 30 countries by 2025. So that's just a couple of years away. Uh, and at this point of time, we are at about a 1 million mark. And we are learning from this program in terms of the uh, the incidence of that, um, you know, the, the pulmonary nodule and what it means in terms of confirmatory testing and so forth. And we've just started that uh, in Malaysia as well over the last couple of years. And we are learning, we are expanding. We will bring in new uh, uh, clinics into this program. And and uh, most recently, we've also uh, um, signed an MOU with the Ministry of Health uh, because, as you can imagine, there are a lot of patients that go into the MOH centers for care. Mm-hmm. So how can you introduce uh, a solution that is powered by a- by AI in an MOH setting? Mm-hmm. So we've just signed an you know, MOU with uh, IKN, Institute uh, Cancer Negara, uh, to implement the same solution within the government setting. So this is going to be studied on a pilot basis before it is expanded to uh, the rest of the... Uh, um, you know, MOH facilities as well. Mm-hmm. So we are tackling this not just in the in the private channel and that's what makes it unique uh, in terms of uh, Malaysia being a good site to test and expand this program. You have the opportunities to deploy it in the private sector while at the same time you can deploy it in the in the government sector and scale it up as well.
0: What about in the clinic as it happens?
1: Uh, So that would be, uh, you know, along the way. So we've got to establish this as a proof of concept within the MOH setting first. So, and that's what we are off to. Uh, I think we're off to a good start. I think we'll, um, you know, study what the results look like before it gets expanded. But uh, again, um, there is a lot of interest. And this is in line with uh, the overall, uh, you know, health white paper and the objectives of the white paper to strengthen primary care and strengthen awareness and screening of diseases. So solutions like this are in line with what the government would like to see over the next five ten years.
0: Mm.
2: If I can just add, I think that's a great uh, and I'm sure that's in the pipeline, to introduce this sort of technology at the clinic Kasehatan because that's precisely what it'll be designed for, where you won't have a trained radiologist on site, you have a junior doctor. And the whole idea is to try and expedite that whole diagnostic referral pathway of any patient or person with a suspected diagnosis of lung cancer to get them in the hands of the relevant lung specialist. Mm. So, you know, the technology can help to shorten that turnaround time. Mm and get people, you know, uh, in the hands of the right specialists. And, and when we're talking about lung cancer, as you know, shall we, um of all cancers, but particularly with lung cancer, you know, the, the progression from early to late stage, it's a real and serious concern. So we want to be swift and prompt in the diagnosis and in the staging and workup of someone with suspected or confirmed lung cancer.
0: So the role of the GP as well is so crucial here, right? They have to be alert to... You know, patients coming in, perhaps even with other complaints, how do they assess them and sort of be really, really on high alert that those who might be at risk or showing symptoms? I mean, um, what can GPs do to sort of increase that, that, that sensitivity?
2: Yeah, so the GPs, we have, you know, a, uh, they are the gatekeepers of the health profession in this country and in many countries. And uh, I think the first thing is a recognition that, as I mentioned, that changing face of lung cancer, that you know, that many people unfortunately may not fit that traditional stereotype profile of a male smoker. And so you need to think about it. So for example, if they encountered a patient who's having a persistent cough, more than two to three weeks duration, that warrants investigation as a minimum with a chest x-ray. And similarly, someone having recurrent chest infections. So they need to have a lower threshold to investigate such people. If you're not thinking about it, then it wouldn't enter into the possibility of a differential diagnosis. Mm. And, uh, and then refer on. So when someone has an X-ray of a scan, there's only going to be one of three possibilities. There's going to be a clearly a normal X-ray of scan. You can reassure that person. There could be something evidently abnormal that mandates a, you know, a biopsy or further investigation. And the challenge and difficulty is that intermediate group where it may not be entirely clear, but there is something there. And then you have to manage patient anxiety. Mm. And what we usually do in this situation is uh, close surveillance or watchful waiting. You may convey that information to the patient or family and say, look, we'll do a follow-up scan or a follow-up x-ray at intervals, say, for example, three or four months, allowing nature to declare itself.
0: Mm. But, you know, would the technology, unfortunately, be sort of picking up a lot of false positives as well?
1: No, I think this has been studied in a variety of settings. Um, so clearly, which is why I think this is not to be... Taken as, um, as uh, you know um, a separate standalone solution by itself, I think uh, Dr. Anand mentioned the uh, the complementary nature of the tool working with the radiologists and the specialists to make sure that you are triaging the um, the high risk patients and looking at taking a second look. So it's not the technology making all the decisions. Right? It's working together to make sure that uh, you, the idea here is to make sure that you don't want to uh, be in a situation where someone progresses to later stages of disease without having this benefit. So here we are with the ability to provide a solution that scans at a pretty high throughput, can scan a lot of x-rays and identify those uh, few cases that may need that extra support. Uh, And that's what the solution is designed to do.
0: Mm, Does it increase the cost of uh, going for a chest x-ray? Does the technology itself make uh, the screening test more expensive?
1: Uh, I don't think so. There is a cost involved to the the whole setup. But at this point of time, uh, you know, AstraZeneca is uh, supporting the program to make sure that uh, we deploy it in a way where it makes sense for uh, uh, the ecosystem in which we are deploying it. And from then on, we need to figure out a solution where we can scale this sustainably to your earlier point. Mm -hmm. But here I would like to put a a different perspective, uh, you know, to all the listeners at this point of time worldwide. 80% 80% or above of healthcare resources are spent on treatment a very small amount goes on prevention types of initiatives so we need to change that paradigm on its head to to make sure that we are spending more effort on upfront screening and diagnosis so the uh, the bulk of the the, the the money or the resources that's needed for treatment gets targeted to the patients that need it mm. so that's the that's the you know change we would like to see and solutions like this uh, will help us move in that direction
0: mm-hmm. um, 20,000 x-rays mm-hmm. under this initiative, but how many of those do go on to have the um, necessary follow-up tests and you know whether it is or not confirmed? Um, is there a gap in between?
2: So maybe I can just uh, share some data. So when we started, when Lung Cancer Network Malaysia, LCNM, started this collaboration uh, with AstraZeneca and Qualitas, I think we did this over about two years from around... February 2021 till around March or April 2023, and at that time point, we had screened over 15,000 people, community screening in primary care, and the data suggests the diagnostic rate is about just under 2.5%. But this show is for a IPN, as what uh, Vinod mentioned, an indeterminate pulmonary nodule. So, in layman's terms for the listeners, that is just like a little opacity or spot on the lung. It may represent a early lung cancer. But having said that, many IPNs won't be lung cancer. And uh, this collaboration was to, uh, it was essentially a feasibility to see if it's possible to do this. The next snap in the algorithm were for those with a positive abnormal X-ray you know, where the software, the AI detected the IPN, for them to go on and have that investigative low-dose CT scan, the CT thorax. And this is where we are struggling with closing that data loop because um, we learned, as Vinod mentioned, it's a journey. And as time went, uh, with kind support from AstraZeneca, we mitigated other things like the cost issue by making scans free. We collaborated with three other private hospitals to do this and introduced even a navigator. which is a postgraduate student from one of the local universities, to try and follow up with people who had a positive Mm. X-ray. But, you know, the uptake has been pretty dismal. Mm. So it seems to be a hard sell. Now, to be fair, a lot of the screening was done on and off during the pandemic. And we tried to follow up either with a telephone call, telephonic survey or with an SMS and I think there are a lot of scams out there. People are reluctant to pick up the call yes. or reply to the WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. But if I can just give a sense of perspective, even, you know, it's a, it's a problem that is not unique to Malaysia. Just uh, recently, the American Lung Association has come out with data as recently as 2021, only 6% of Americans who are eligible for screening for lung cancer got screened. Mm. So it, it is, uh, you know, we have a major disease that can be treated effectively if picked up early and yet there's this mm-hmm. reluctance this reticence to come forth for screening mm-hmm. so it's a behavioral change as you mentioned Vinod, know that we need to uh, I think the technology performs.
0: Where do you think that's coming from?
2: You know
1: I think there's probably a, a sense of uh, you know complacency or inertia in terms of uh, waiting it out to see if my conditions worsen before I show up to a doctor or get the right light level of care but um, but you know, you asked the question earlier around sustainability, and I think that's where studies like this or ideas like this, uh, once you start to uh, have uh, the proof of concepts working out, like we, we now know that if you screen so many uh, X-rays using this technology, a percentage of them will end up having, um, you know, the pulmonary nodules that needs to be investigated further. Now, with that understanding, we are creating a virtuous cycle where I think behaviors and habits will start to change, uh, and you know, let's, let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture. In Malaysia, 80% of lung cancers are identified in late stages, where prognosis and outcomes are quite bad. Um, you know, five-year survival, um, you know, data in Malaysia is about 10%, right? So uh, if you're shifting this to earlier stages of disease identification, you can increase survival rates for patients. And that means more productive... You know, uh, you know, uh, lives for uh, for for patients, yeah. right? So that's what we. The bigger picture is about doing that, right? I mean, eighty uh, percent advanced stage. If you're able to demonstrate a meaningful stage shift to earlier stages of disease, you have better treatment options that have better outcomes, and that's that's what we would like to see.
0: Yeah, um, how much of it, Doctor Anand, is um, societal or perhaps self-inflicted stigma when it comes to a possible diagnosis of lung cancer?
2: Yeah, I think that's that's a very uh, astute observation. And I think that's a very fair comment. So, I mean, just to add to what Vinod is saying, I think the other real world concerns that we have learned in this journey is that fear of a cancer diagnosis, yeah. right? Uh, self-inflicted stigma, you know, the stigma that it's a self-inflicted disease if you're a smoker, or a former smoker, the lack of empathy from society at large, including the medical profession, I mm. might add. Um, and then, you know, real world screening is a process. There are downstream costs if you need a biopsy, follow-up scans. And, you know, insurance penetration is quite low. So people may have concerns. It may invalidate their insurance, cost issues. But I think, it, and, and and perhaps, uh, uh, as Vinod said, an element of complacency as well. So I think it's, it's all of this. So we're very curious now. I think before we continue on this path of further screening we really need to try and analyze yeah, as you say the behavioral aspect as to why people are reluctant to come forward for screening even when we have made the screening more affordable you know brought in a navigator to shepherd them through the whole process yeah. still the uptake has been pretty dismal
0: yeah
2: i think it,
1: it operates on uh, you know three angles uh, if, if i if i may quickly summarize it one is um, does the screening solution work or not? Do I have confidence in it? And, and through a lot of the work that we are doing, we are aiming to... Uh to establish that uh, evidence, uh, number two is if I get diagnosed, do I uh, can I have the access to the uh, the right medication? So closing that access gap and making sure that the right treatment is available is a second part of this. And the third piece, Dr. Anand alluded to right now, is the the quality of care. In a lot of these cases, it requires a, a well-functioning multidisciplinary team, right? And that doesn't that cannot be taken for granted that it's available in every setting. Mm-hmm. So having that multidisciplinary team to provide that quality of care is also equal important. So you can imagine very quickly it gets quite complicated. You need to have all of these steps thought about and kind of connected at the right places mm-hmm. for the patient to, uh, to go through that journey.
0: Yeah, and that's just the system point of view. Individuals are thinking about so many other things as well, their yeah. livelihoods, the impact on their families. Um, but we will go for another quick break and come back to look at sort of somewhere between the second and third point you made, Vinod, um, the care um, what is available in terms of treatment, how the face of uh, lung cancer and the outcomes change when it can be diagnosed at the earlier stages and treatment can be instituted. Then in the studio with me, Vinod Narayanan, country president of AstraZeneca Malaysia and Dr. Anand Sachitanandan, consultant, cardiothoracic surgeon and co-founder of the Lung Cancer Network Malaysia. We'll be right back on Health & Living, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Health & Living with me, T. Shao Joining me in the studio today, Dr. Anand Sachitanandan, consultant, cardiothoracic surgeon and co-founder of the Lung Cancer Network Malaysia and Vinod Narayanan, country president of AstraZeneca Malaysia. We're discussing lung cancer today and how the Cure AI screening initiative in Malaysia with um, the Qualitas clinics as well as several tertiary hospitals is increasing the opportunities for people with uh, certain risk factors to go for lung cancer screening, a very non-invasive, much more acceptable manner of screening. And um, the AI technology will then pick up any abnormalities in the lung x-rays. And um, again, it's all about opportunities, right? Um, Increase opportunities for further testing to be done um, for radiologists to be looking at it and for any diagnosis to be confirmed. And we have been talking about the barriers when it comes to encouraging people to go for the follow-up. LODO CT scans after the x-rays, um, I can see where uh, the mental block would be significant. The fear um, or perhaps denial of a cancer diagnosis, I think the fear probably comes from our understanding of lung cancer, Dr. Anand. We still think of it as a very deadly cancer, which I'm sure it is when diagnosed at the late stages, but this is the kind of fear that would prevent people from coming forward to be diagnosed. Can you talk a little bit about whether this picture of lung cancer might have changed and what kinds of advances in therapies are able to improve patient outcomes today?
2: So, you know, Shaoui, it's it's really frustrating and tragic as a thoracic surgeon or as a doctor who treats lung cancer that, you know, we have a disease that is, as far as I'm concerned, it's a public health concern, you know. It's uh, 2 million people diagnosed each year with lung cancer globally, 1.8 million deaths, 60% of new cases and deaths occur in Asia in malaysia as we all know it's uh, one of the commonest cancers it is the second most common male cancer accounts for 15% of all male cancers and commonest cause of cancer death in malaysian men and in women only breast cancer is more fatal so we're talking about a common cancer common cause of cancer death and the frustration and the tragedy is if we can pick up this disease earlier it is you know it can be treated very effectively uh, with very good outcomes and the metric we use is the five-year survival for any cancer. And just to give a sense of perspective for the listeners, best case scenario: stage 1A lung cancer, tumor that is one centimeters in size or less. the five-year survival, anywhere 80 to 90 percent. And we contrast that with stage four, lung cancer, 4B, where the five-year survival may be around five to 10 percent. So really, if we can pick up the disease earlier, It can be cured in many cases, or certainly we can get our patients to live longer and better, uh, you know, overall survival and what we call as a progression-free or disease-free survival. Um, But, you know, the diagnostic and treatment landscape for lung cancer has evolved considerably in the past five years. I'm sure Vinod will agree. I would say it's nothing short of a revolution. And it really brings realistic hope for our patients, you know. We have, as we have just been talking about, you know, state-of-the-art imaging, low-dose CT scans, AI, chest X-rays to pick up the disease earlier. Uh, You know, in my own area of uh, surgery, we now perform uh, increasingly less invasive surgery, minimally invasive in appropriate cases. So that means less tissue trauma, quicker recovery, less pain for patients where it's appropriate. And, uh, you know, uh, all the various treatments, we really are in this era of what I would call as precision diagnostics and personalized therapies. You know, uh, a lot of the drugs that the pharmaceutical giants produce, oral target therapies, antibody uh, drug conjugates, immunotherapies, and um, in addition to conventional chemotherapy and uh, radiotherapy, it's all got more refined it's all got more personalised and that seems to be translating from the global trials and data that we look at. It translates into better outcomes in terms of survival and in terms of quality of life.
0: You know, you mentioned live longer and better. What does that actually mean? I mean, looking at the patients um, that you have treated, uh, those you have been able to support at earlier stages of the disease, what does live longer and better look like?
2: Well, I mean, as a surgeon, I tend to treat earlier stage disease, you know, stage one and two. And of course, now that the lines are getting blurred with advances in diagnosis and treatment, we we are even, you know, starting to operate in patients, selected cases of stage 3A and stage 3B. So as what Vinod mentioned, it really is a multidisciplinary approach. The optimal care in most cases is multimodal, where surgery on its own is not good enough. It has to be in combination with chemo or radio immunotherapy or targeted therapies and sometimes delivered pre-surgery new adjuvant sometimes delivered in the post operative adjuvant setting but you know what does it translate to we see patients surviving and living well healthily resuming normal healthy lifestyle and and uh, you know obviously if someone lives beyond 5 years then we say they are uh, you know well everyone's a survivor but basically that they are they are free of their cancer mm. but we continue to monitor uh, patients as a minimum for five years, uh, because there is no assurance that you can't develop a recurrence. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the current we tend to follow international guidelines, so we would be vigilant and, and and be meticulous in monitoring patients for about minimum of five years. Mm-hmm. But really, it, you know, a lot of the patients are younger, in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. They have. A lot of reasons to want to live and live well. They have dependents, they have career, they have aspirations, mm-hmm. and that's not to say an older person, you know, is any less important. Not at all. Uh, as we all age, and if we're aging well, then we don't discriminate on the basis of age. You know, we've got seventy, even eighty-year-old patients who, if they're appropriately diagnosed and staged and worked up and deemed to be fit enough for the treatment, then they should also be offered those treatments. Yeah.
0: And this aspiration to eliminate lung cancer as a cause of death. You know, I mean. I wouldn't have thought you could mention that in the context of lung cancer. Um, can you tell, you know, what what are we achieving here?
1: No, it is a bold ambition and as we sit today, I think, you know, when you look at the data, it is uh, quite, it appears quite daunting. But if we uh, really orchestrate all the things that we've talked about today in terms of early screening, the right policy push and the access to, uh, to medicines and post-treatment care, all of this working together, we can definitely move in that direction. Uh, it, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to take uh, concerted effort over many years. And there are examples of countries that have tried this and have uh, shown good results as well. So that's the reason for us to believe and be optimistic that we can replicate something like this uh, in in Malaysia as well, right? Um, clearly, uh, I've been working around oncology, um, you know, as a therapeutic area for over 20 years, and I've seen the uh, emergence of new um, products, new uh, you know technologies to to really address the underlying disease. Um, the emergence of diagnostics as a way to really uh, uh, understand what's going on with the patient and being able to provide that personalized uh, support—clearly, uh, Dr. Anand mentioned that quite eloquently. So, those are those are all the reasons uh, why we, why believe uh, we believe we are moving in the right direction. Uh, and with the the puzzles in the right places, if we put them together, I think uh, we can really work towards eliminating lung cancer as a, a key, uh, you know, um, a source of, of death.
0: So. At the end of the day, it's going to come down to individuals and uh, making use of uh, the advancements in technologies that are out there. So I think this would be a good time to talk a little bit about a public event that you have coming up on the 18th of November and how people will benefit from that. Uh, Dr. Anum, would you like to share?
2: Yeah, thank you, Shahiq. So, um, LCNM is organizing a public forum, which is coming up in a couple of days' time, on Saturday, the 18th of November. Funnily enough, it's here in this very premises, um, Minara Ken, TTDI. And uh, there's a bit of everything for everyone. It's it's an event... supported by a number of organisations, including AstraZeneca, for which we're very uh, appreciative of. And basically, the highlight of the event will be, again, the lung cancer screening with AI-enabled chest x-rays for eligible individuals. So
0: that will be available here? Yes, we
2: have a mobile scanner that will be on site here in Menara, and um, there will also be a number of talks by some of my colleagues, you know, different specialists to, to share on the updates in lung cancer for a lay audience. Mm-hmm. And very importantly, I feel there'll be cancer survivors sharing their own stories and journey. And uh, a few other fun things, I think there's some soap making and cooking demonstrations as well, just to make sure things are a little bit uh, light as well. Yeah.
0: Mm. So where can people find out um, more details?
2: Yeah, so um, please do visit our website, www.lungcancer.net.my. It's a LCNM public forum and uh, everyone's welcome. So it's on Saturday, 18th of November from 10 to 5 here in Menorah T T D I. TTDI.
0: All right, and um, perhaps I can get each of you to share a final message um, about lung cancer, and especially encouraging people to go for lung cancer screening, um, sort of to overcome that, that fear and stigma that many people have.
1: No. Yeah, no, thank you, Sherry. Um I think we've covered a lot of important points uh, as you know as we were chatting uh, here. Uh, For me, I think a couple of key messages are uh, don't hesitate to get screened. I think uh, screening is probably one of the key messages coming out of this discussion. So early screening and uh, timely diagnosis can save lives. I think that's uh, one key message that I would like to get out there. And working with uh, our partner, uh, Lung Cancer Network Malaysia, we are bringing forward the cutting edge technology in terms of uh, making that screening step uh, more easy. Uh, with uh, the AI solution, so uh, and the idea there is to uh, to identify uh, potential you know uh, r- you know risk individuals with those pulmonary nodules who can get the right uh, follow up care. So the overall, if I have to leave with uh, one sentence, it's going to be something along the lines of uh, let's detect early to defeat disease early.
0: Dr. Anand.
2: Yeah, no, thanks to BFM for this platform as well. As everyone knows, November is uh, World Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And uh, I echo what Vinod has just said, really. Not not too much to add other than to say if you think you're in a slightly at-risk group uh, with a family history of lung cancer, or you have a significant smoking history, a current or former smoker, please you know, give consideration if you're over the age of 45 uh, to be screened. And uh, the way to screen for it is still the low-dose CT scan. However, uh, we believe using a chestnut Sex ray with AI technology is also a very reasonable start, starting baseline investigation, and I think screening coupled with tobacco control—we've not talked about that—but that is also very important as well to effect change. It's a, it's a moonshot, but you know, in terms of wanting to double the survival rates and eliminate lung cancer as a cause of death. But I, I share that, and I think it, as aspirational as it is, I think it is achievable. Uh, maybe we can push this agenda for screening, tobacco control, and over time make the various treatments uh, more f- affordable, which will probably come with scalability.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a moonshot, but we should aspire to it, shouldn't we? Absolutely. Thank you so much for this conversation today, Dr. Anand Sachidanandan, consultant, cardiothoracic surgeon and co-founder of the Lung Cancer Network Malaysia and Vinod Narayanan, Country President of AstraZeneca Malaysia. And once again, um, to check out the public event on the 18th of November, you can uh, visit Lung Cancer Network Malaysia's website or Facebook page for more details. This show was brought to you by AstraZeneca Malaysia. This has been Health & Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
2: For more stories of the same kind, Download the VFM app.